0: Welcome to the fitness Canner podcast. I'm your host, Eric Feigl. I'll be bringing you the truth about exercise by interviewing fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, as well as fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders. Hopefully you take this info and apply it to have a better, healthier and happier lifestyle. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 44. I am joined today by Dr. Robert Haley, and he's been featured on the Bodybuilding.com blog and in Train Magazine, and is a former collegiate wrestler, weightlifter, and powerlifter. Um, he got his uh, bachelor's degree in phys ed, a master's degree in exercise science, so I know he'll have a very um, interesting background and philosophy on, on helping the general public and working with athletes. So, uh, doctor, thanks for joining the show. Uh, fill in some gaps for us because I know you have a, a little deeper background than what I what I led into.
1: Well, I'm what we call a sports chiropractor, certified sports chiropractor. So for I've been practicing for 23 years, and I've done a lot of work. I did the Olympic Training Center program where I was out there working with Olympic athletes. I also worked the two thousand and three World Wrestling Championships and Freestyle Wrestling. I was the chiropractor coordinator for that. I work with a lot of high school and college athletes, and I also work with volleyball players. So I got a pretty extensive background from usually the youth athletes all the way to the elite athletes. So a pretty good perspective on it.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And obviously, injury prevention um, is huge in all of those sports. What led you from being a, a college athlete into going into what you do now? Did you did you suffer from a lot of injuries when you were uh, first starting out in athletics?
1: Oh, yeah. When I first, when I was a wrestler in high school, my back was really bad my senior year, and it, nobody could kind of figure out what was going on. So I went to my mother's chiropractor and to kind of figure out that I had what they call spondylolisthesis where my bones yep. shifted forward in my low back. And uh, I went to the chiropractor, and after a while it, it helped out. So I said, this is pretty cool. I didn't decide to be a chiropractor at that point. As I got into college, I was an exercise, uh, I was a phys ed major, then I went for a master's degree in exercise science. And my teacher said, look, why don't you become like either a Ph.D. in exercise physiology or become like a medical doctor or something? At the time, I wasn't really into giving medicine to people. I thought there was a better alternative for most most cases. So I said said to her, I said, well, if I'm going to be a doctor, I want to be a real doctor. Put my hands on people, and that's Mm -hmm. what led me to be a chiropractor.
0: Oh, nice! And that was
1: my thinking back then. A real doctor puts his hands on people.
0: Well, yeah, you're. I mean, you're. I think we're so used to now like going into an office. You sit there. You might shake hands. You don't. You barely make eye contact, then you're out the door, right? So it probably hasn't changed in the past, like thirty or forty years. So, um, when you first meet with someone who it, it, it pick your sport doesn't matter which one, but uh, one that you're more familiar with, and you have an injured athlete, what's that process start out like?
1: Well, first of all. If you're dealing with particular athletes, you should try to know the sports. So if somebody calls up and it's a sport I'm not familiar with, say, figure skating, whatever, I'll try to do a little background on it. I'll try to get some videos and see what kind of movements they're doing. When they when they come in, no matter what the sport is, you want to kind of do a movement screen, see how they move, see their alignment. Two big, very important things are the alignment, spinal alignment extremity alignment. Make sure they're starting off as properly as possible. Then you put them through movement patterns just to see if they they have any kind of joint mobility problems, which in other words, the joints don't move properly, or flexibility problems. Then I check the stability. You know, if they could stand on one leg, if they could do a squat without falling over, that kind of stuff. And that Mm -hmm. kind of gets us started out of the gate.
0: Okay, so when you're looking at somebody who's standing on on one foot, for instance, what kind of, um, would you start from the ground up? You start from shoulders down? You're looking for, like, flexion in the hip? Like, what what kind of?
1: I, I always like to start. Especially depending on the sport. Most of the sports, we're upright. Okay, right. So I like to make sure the foot has good alignment, has good mobility. You want to make sure they have good dorsiflexion. They're not, they have good balance when they're not flipping over the side to side. Then you right. start working your way up the kinetic chain. You look at their knees, their hips, their low back. Then they go into the shoulders, scapula, and their neck. And then you also want to check posture. If I look at a posture, I want to see it from the front, the side, and the back because you mm-hmm. get three different dimensions. Also, this is a very important point. You also want to see the people when they sit down. I had, a, I had a case when I was at the Olympic Training Center years ago. We had a triathlete, and he had a shoulder that I was definitely misaligned. It was definitely higher on one side. Once I sat him down, it balanced down. So that indicated that he had a lower extremity problem. He needed a set of orthotics that kind of raised his leg up a little bit, and his posture was fine. So you always want to see him standing, and then you, I also like to look at him sitting down.
0: Yeah, Even I think changes. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, too. And even when I'm training with clients, I like to do, like, a 360 around them, you know, especially, like, in overhead motions and, and things like that. So that makes complete sense. So you're going through that motion, um, you know, having them stand on one leg or just working from ground to head level. What uh, What specific cues do you give an athlete?
1: Well, <clears throat> what I want to do is, first of all, everybody stands up the same way, same shoulder width apart. Same chest out, we get everybody starting the same way, and then, as they're doing it, I can kind of see the differences there. So I don't give any specific cues at that point for the athlete as far as you're going to do it a different way, depending on their sport, the next phase would be let's see some of the movements you actually do. So if it's a baseball player or a pitcher, I'll say, go through your pitching motion, right. The best thing is to get some video, so everybody has cell phones now, so sometimes they'll take you know a parent might take a picture of the kid or a video of the kid actually doing the competition. And if they're a runner, that would be great, too, if you could get them racing. But then I have them do some movements. So if it's a weightlifter, so you deal with weightlifting. Let me see your squat. If you do you do snatches? A lot of people like to do snatches and they go into competition. I take a little dowel, put it over their head, let them do that. If it's, if it's an athlete that's weight-bearing a lot, okay? Say it's an athlete that could be um, a hurdler, and they're going to jump on one side or a jumper because they take care of a lot of track athletes. I'll have them do more balance off one leg, and I'll be more paying attention to that. Because if they have an imbalance with that, especially on a leg where they're using a stance and they're powering up, if there's an issue right away, everything else that's going to follow, it's going to be a problem.
0: Sure. So, I mean, basically, just having the athlete go through the motions of of what they're going to be doing during performance. So what do you, when you're progressing through, um, I mean, how often do you see, like, a 100% healthy athlete, right? So... If, if by chance you do get someone who's healthy, then I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're thrilled and in heaven with it. But what talk a little bit about your injury injury prevention protocol if you're if you're really trying to protect an athlete, um, you know, from some kind of damage down the road.
1: Well, three things you want to look at, like we talked about before, alignment. So we start off with the alignment. Then I go into the the movement screens want to make sure they have joint mobility. And then we want to see if they have stability. That's where you come up with your balance and your one-leg stand and going through the motions and see if they can balance properly. If they have any deficits, you want to correct that. I had a case in the office. It was a funny thing because it was was the twin sisters. And one of them got injured as a cheerleader. She hurt her back, and I was working on her. She happened to bring her twin in one day, and I noticed she had some postural issues. And she also runs track and plays uh, soccer. So I said, make sure your mom clears it. Come on in, and I'll check you out. I just put it through basic movements and basic alignment. She had like five or six different things wrong with her. Her okay. ankle wouldn't dorsiflex on one side. When she did a squat, she flipped over to the other side. And I corrected that. She was more balanced, and then hopefully she performed better.
0: So how do you go about correcting that, though? Because, I mean, obviously, when, you know, once they leave the office, it's kind of on them, right? Or are you working yeah. direct, directly with their coach, or how does that work?
1: Well, it depends on the situation. Sometimes you could rec- you could work directly with their trainer. Because a lot of times when I work with these schools, that we'll deal with the trainer. A lot of times you're working with their parents because they're the only ones bringing the kid in. And a lot of times you have to educate them. What I'll do in my office, my treatment would be, if they need any kind of physical therapy like muscle stem or ultrasound, we have that for somebody that's really hurt. But we do joint manipulation. We do I do soft tissue technique. I do grasping. I do active release. These are two popular soft tissue techniques that we yep. use. So we try to we try to stretch and break up the muscle adhesions. And then what we do is we always try to give them some kind of exercises that could, they they could do on their own. I don't like to give too much cuz kids and athletes are not going to do it. Yeah. You know, you give them 10 or 20 exercises they're not going to do it. So I give them as little possible. I try to get more bang for my buck. So I might give them 3 to t- two or three exercises to do at home and then we just re- we as we, they're coming along we just make sure they're doing it.
0: You go you go back through probably the same alignment movement screen stability after x amount of weeks or months or whatever right? Go back through the motions yeah, what that you started I do, with
1: yeah, what I do because of time sequencing, you can't really do the full workup every visit. Right. So I just hit the highlights. So if somebody has a problem like bending forward or doing a squat, we'll recheck that. And so I kind of check the movements that are deficient. And then we do reexaminations like every thirty days or so. Okay. We'll go through the whole the whole gamut.
0: Yeah, and and I'm sure once they, I mean, they're given feedback because if they're actually keeping up with their work, then they're uh, seeing performance improvements, which is gonna make their coach happy, and then you're probably gonna hear more about that, so that's a big chain. But uh, what I really wanted to focus on, and I think is super important, especially for both sides of the industry, is bridging the gap between the fitness industry and sports medicine. And uh, and you're the one who brought this up, because I think it's kind of a passion of yours also. So what do you think the missing link is right now?
1: I think it's communication. I think it's, um, and sometimes it could be egos. Yeah. Um, I work with a lot of different schools and a lot of different teams, and I, I say, look, we, we, we're we going to do our job, and you do your job. We have to bridge together, because we're all there for the athletes. So a lot of times, I think the strength, um, strength and conditioning department and the sports medicine department have to work hand-in-hand. And in most big schools, universities, and on a professional level, they do. The problem is sometimes at the high school level, some schools don't really have strength coaches or you know every kid might go to a different gym and have a different trainer so that's where it gets a little more complicated but that's a mandatory cross link that you have to have
0: yeah how do people go about that too cuz if you're i mean if you're a strength coach uh, you know you have your small staff of people if you're lucky to be at a, a big college or a, a big organization you have a lot more availability to you but for a, for a high school that maybe doesn't have all that available how do they know where to go to get you know to bring their athletes like where where can they tell them to go what's is there any resource out there besides just Googling somebody and just praying that they get to the right person?
1: Well, I, I recommend that every, and I did an interview this once before, I said every high school should have a strength department. I mean, they should have somebody that at least coordinates the strength. I'm not saying they have to have somebody that's there and is going to be every day in the gym, but somebody at least coordinates the, the conditioning of these athletes. And I know a lot of coaches try to do it, and it gets a little bit cumbersome with them. You you'd probably deal with the athletic trainer, because a lot of times they act train, look, like, a lot of trainers dealing with that stuff mm-hmm. but in high school level it gets overwhelmed so every area pretty much has the people in the area they know to go to and you just have to coordinate those those um, professionals
0: yeah just get them all together
1: in the right yeah and you, those... you got to do some research you got to do some who's in your who's in your area who will deal with our athletes and who can we uh, agree upon
0: and those people need to be in front of the athletes too with the coaches it shouldn't just be like a, hey let's set up a referral system and i'm gonna shuffle them over you and then you know you handle it. I hope that you do a good job. You bring them back, and then they're fine. Like this, those people need to be in front of the athletes, working with the coaches. I mean, this is all all across the board, and um, I think that's how you really get into, you know, reducing injury and keeping people active and and with it. Um, can you tell everybody about your? I kind of I glanced a little bit at your at your book when we first talked about uh, Impatient Nation. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit, too, because I think that's an interesting topic. Can you give everybody a a refresher and overview of that?
1: It's funny because I just, uh, before I got on with you, I just was on a webinar that I kind of missed, and I'm reviewing it, and it's about how people have so much control of their health they don't even realize it. We're so, di- And I'm not disparaging any kind of health professional, but a health professional should really be there to assist you and, and guide you. And if there's crisis care, obviously you have to go to the crisis care managers. But we have so much control of our health and I'm trying to, I, with that book, it was kind of like to educate people, hey, you know, you could take control of about probably 80% of the stuff that's ailing you, whether it's a bad back, whether you're obese, whether you have fatigue. And people have to know that because in our society nowadays it's getting bad because Any kind of aches and pains, people run to the doctors, run to the hospital, and they get a prescription. And now there's a big thing with these opioids, with these kids that are getting injured, and they give them all these pain medications, and now they're kind of cutting it down. But people have more control over their health than they know what to deal with. They just have to start changing their their outlook and their attitude towards it. So that was kind of the premise of my book. It was mainly the differentiating between crisis care. I break my leg, I'm going to the hospital. I want somebody to set that bone. And then there's health care, true health care. I'm overweight. I need to go to somebody, a trainer, a nutritionist, whatever, to lose that weight. I don't need to go, you know keep taking my diabetic medicine every month if I can control it. Now, if you have a problem, obviously the doctors have to manage it, but you can, you can control this on your end. And that kind of ties in with the fitness business. You guys are getting Definitely. people are at least get, they're getting into the door, they're asking for health, and then you guys will help them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the the health care. Should probably be changed to sick care because when somebody's yeah, going, you know, cause somebody goes to the doctor and they now, okay, with the caveat that uh, someone doesn't know they're sick. Like I train a lot of people who are, are healthy and happy and, you know, they come to me to, to maintain that. So that's not sick care, that's health care, that's health maintenance. But if you have somebody walking in a doctor's office who knows that their uh, you know, blood pressure is through the roof or you know, you name the ailment and they're there because they know the doctor is just going to hand them a, a, a per, you know, prescription pad and say, okay, there you go, you're done. I mean, that's what sick care is. You're not going to get better. Just because you have high blood pressure and then you take medicine and it goes down to whatever normal is, you still have high blood pressure. It's just being managed. I mean, that's you know, look- p- we get tricked. We get tricked into thinking that... Um, that were being quote unquote treated when it's just like you're you're prolonging the inevitable it seems like
1: i had a patient years ago they filled out the intake forms and the, the woman was on a few medications but mm-hmm. didn't put down that she had any problems and i said you know you're taking this medication once looks like it's for diabetes once for high blood pressure and, but you didn't put down that you had that and she goes, well i don't have it anymore go, what do you mean but why are you taking the medicine she goes, well the medicine took it away I go, in but you take, so I had to like play a game where I said, you take the medicine every month or so, right? She goes, yeah. What do you think happens if you stop taking the medicine? And then she she had that blank stare on her face. Right. They don't understand. They think, okay, I don't have it anymore no because now the medicine's taking care of it. And that, that's just a bad uh, way of dealing with it. And it's changing a little bit, too. And it I, is. I don't yeah. think it's changing quick enough for us, uh, people in the health industry. Because, like, one patient came in the other night, and her insurance will give her a discount if she goes three times a week to a gym. That's the first time I've ever heard of that in a long time. I know they do give incentives to go to gyms, some of these insurances, but the fact that they made her, she has to sign in three times a week and work out three times a week, I thought that was really good.
0: Yeah, that's huge. And I actually came from, um, I have a, a corporate wellness background also. So I... I worked in one of those facilities for a major uh, health organization, a major, major health insurance organization, and they did the same thing. So they had a super, super nice facility, 5,000 square foot facility. We had trainers on staff. We made exercise programs for them, and all they had to do was sign up, and then they get like a, I can't remember what the discount was, but they showed up an average of twice a week um, in, in, in three months, in a quarter, an average of twice a week, and you got a discount. You paid like, I think it was like six bucks a month or something like that, and uh, you would not believe it was like pulling teeth to get people to come down. And I think we had maybe... Oh, really? Mm. Oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. It was mm. like, I think we had 500 people in the building-ish, maybe, maybe a little bit more, maybe less, and we maybe had 150 members, and then of those active, 50, maybe? Something like that? And then that's not... you know, we Group classes were included, they didn't have to pay for extra group classes, and we had health seminars, the whole nine yards. But... But I do think it's starting to change. And just those things kind of go in ebb and flows. You know, like in the 90s and in the late 80s, those things were huge. You know, corporate wellness, and that kind of took a dip. And now we're seeing an upward trend. So I think it's it's obviously it's up to you know people like you and I to to tell people what's available and what's out there. But also, if you're an employer and you have that available and you're not pushing it, I don't know. There's There's another gap that needs to be bridged,
1: you know. Yeah, it was I had a, um, I went to a seminar one time. It was a health seminar, and we had one of the local uh, insurance companies, and I had a speaker, and the lady was talking about what they call alternative or complementary medicine, which we would include chiropractic and acupuncture and all that kind of stuff and nutrition, and she was saying how how good it was. And at the end of the I sa- at the end of the talk, I said, Why don't you guys tell the medical doctors because they're the portal of entry. Uh, providers. People get sick or people have a problem, they usually go to their medical doctor first. I said, why don't you tell or make it a recommendation to the medical doctors that they should seek these alternative means first before they start doing all the medication and all kinds of stuff. Then you really get into wellness. Because she was saying a percentage, like I think we we have 28% of our or enrollees using alternative medicine or complementary medicine. I said, Why don't you get the doctors to say, Look, you're overweight, you're obese, so you have a back problem. Why don't you go to the chiropractor? Why don't you go to a nutritionist before we really enroll you into a, med- a, a medicine program? And she kind of looked at me with a blank stare, like, I don't know if we could do that, you know? Right. But if you educate the doctors and you really build a good network with it, you can do it and you'll save money and you'll have a healthier uh, person and client.
0: Well, you brought up a good point because you think about. Um... You have to reverse engineer it, which I'm, I'm starting to use that term a lot lately, but you have to start from the top, start from the doctors that are here now because all they've been, they've, they were taught by the doctor before them before them before them. So it starts with the people who are in charge now who have the, the biggest impact and you have to work backwards to it because even like the doctors now coming out of school, uh, you know, they're not even focused on I mean, how, how much nutrition counseling or teaching do they get? I mean, any at all? Because I, I really don't know.
1: From what I remember, it was it was very basic, and I don't know if they increased it. If you want to get any kind of nutritional, nutritional training, you'd have to seek elsewhere, and there's plenty yeah. of good programs. But it the standard medical protocol, I don't think they got a lot. When I was in chiropractic school, we have had probably three or four classes in it, but I thought that was still inadequate. Sure. You know, it, it was good. It was good, but if you really want to get in-depth with it, you need to get an advanced degree or, or just more training.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, yeah, because working with the public, I mean, I'm not saying that, I mean, thank God we live in modern, modern times, you know, 100 years ago, I mean, I'm not saying that modern medicine is terrible or bad. Or we shouldn't have it because we 100% we should. That's oh, you need silly. it. You need Definitely. It. But I mean, it, it's, it's silly to think that a lot of what we do, a lot of that things that happen to us can't be fixed by changing our lifestyle starting with nutrition, starting with exercise, ex, you know, down down the line. But um, anyway, well, you
1: know,
0: I, uh, go, know, ahead. go ahead, go
1: ahead. One real quick point. It's funny because health is so not compartmentalized. Like, in other words, if your car breaks down, you're going to take it to a mechanic. Mm-hmm. If your motorcycle takes breaks down, you're probably going to take it to a different mechanic. Right. But when it comes to health, everything for years is funneled through, you know, the medical doctors and, and, and hospitals. But people don't know, crisis care is one part of it. Healthcare is another part of it. I'm glad I got those guys on the other side. So, golf, but I do have a problem, or or I break a leg, or I'm, I'm having an illness. But to get healthy, I need to go on this side of the spectrum. Right. Well,
0: it's the same thing from my point of view. When I have somebody come to me saying they want to be a fitness competitor, I don't do that kind of training. There are people out there in my field who will, who will mm-hmm. do that. But I, no, that, that's mm-hmm. not me. So yeah, seeking those people. But I mean, and, and I think it goes back to another thing is uh where where can we place the blame too because there's there's so many different ways we 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 can say it's the health insurance fault we can say it's the doctor's fault we can say but when it comes down to it you got to take like self responsibility i mean there's Absolutely. and okay i take another step back and i say we need to educate those people too so they can make the right decisions i don't know i guess it's a big circle uh when it comes into <laughs> I mean, we kind of just run around and we can keep saying, where do we start? Where do we start? But it has to start with the individual. If you can't, if a person, just like an athlete, an athlete has to say, I want to get better at something. And they have to take responsibility. First, they have to want to get better at it. And they have to want to have, they have to have the drive to do that. And if a person, I can't make somebody come to the gym. I can't make them. I can schedule an appointment with them. I can say, you're going to show up and... Whether or not you're going to get charged, accountability, or you come in and you're going to have the entire workout plan, you don't have to think about it, but unless they actually want to be here, I mean, it's out of my control. Same thing for you. If a person wants to, you know, reduce their chances of, of getting injured in a sport, then they have to know that they, they need that and they want that and they have to go seek it out. But...
1: Yeah, yeah, we're a very reactive society. Yeah. We react when we have a problem. We don't think ahead of the the game. Right. Uh, Like that line in the the Rocky movie. I think it was Rocky 1 where he was collecting money off the the guy that owed money to the long shots or whatever. He says, you should have thought ahead. (laughs) <laughs> and that's yeah. what people don't. People don't do that. They don't think ahead. They wait till they have a problem, and then when they come into a crisis mode situation, mm-hmm. like if somebody comes in here and they really say they have an injury, whatever so it could be a bad back, sciatica, it could be a twisted knee, it could be anything. Then it opens the door to they could go to an orthopedic, they could go to a physical therapist, they could go to, you know, a swami, they could go whatever. Now they're out of that wellness mode or preventative mode, so then they could seek other people, and that's what happens when yeah. they have ill illness, If somebody's obese and they start getting stomach pain. They're not going to run in to see you to kind of get conditioned. They're going to run to the doctor or the hospital and get that checked,
0: right. which they should.
1: You should make sure everything's okay, but then they should leave that doctor's office saying, okay, this is unacceptable. I'm not going to let this happen again. Let me hook up with Eric or somebody and let's get in shape.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a. it definitely is a broken system. You know, I'm going to uh, kind of circle back to something. Um, along Whatever we were talking about just kind of triggered uh, something I wanted to ask. When you're working with um, – Let's say a weightlifter, because you have a, a lot of knowledge in that that area, a lot of background with that. Do you see an an overarching um, injury or a not necessarily a flaw, but someplace where you have to go in and fix? Like, uh, let's just stick with um, uh, you know just regular po- like a powerlifter, for instance. Do you mm-hmm. see like something common in each of them that needs to be adjusted?
1: Yeah, a lot of low backs, because yeah, when yeah. people start throwing heavy. And they don't really have to do heavy, but deadlifts, squats. That could if you don't do it properly, you could compromise your back. And I see a lot of low backs from that because they'll either increase the weight, and the, what happens is your back will buckle. So the supporting mechanism around the spine might be good because you know if you're a power lifter, you're tucking and everything, you're getting really tight. Sometimes if if you just go past that threshold, your your ligaments and all can't hold, and you'll you'll buckle, and you could get an injury. And I see a lot of people getting hurt like that. And, uh, you know, a lot of it's just from poor form or not knowing when to, to to give up. You know, you're doing a few reps and you're breaking your form. you got to stop. That's why you need a good coach. Somebody should be watching you.
0: Definitely. Is that pretty – probably low back is one of the most common injuries. That in and in, – well, I mean, joints are all over the place, but – Yeah, with would, a
1: weightlifter, it's, it's yeah. low back and, and shoulders, too, if they're it, and they are doing any heavy pressing motions. Yeah. Heavy pressing motions like benching or, or just military presses, they'll hurt their shoulders. The low back, you get a lot of it. The back takes a, bit, a lot of brunt of force when you're lifting weights. Yeah, it does.
0: Yeah, we always talk about when clients come in and when they, they want to strengthen their quote-unquote core. And yeah. we have to define what core is first because a lot yeah. of people just think, you know, abs and that's it. I just want tighter abs or I want stronger abs. You know, think low back, glutes, and your hamstrings, and then you're talking, you know, from basically rib cage down. Um, Mm -hmm. that's where I would define it at least so
1: well watch um, people when they get older if you watch an older person and we're saying like a deconditioned person not like an athlete you ever watch them get out of a chair they they can't use their legs or glutes anymore because they decondition them what do they do they arch forward and they got to use their back now you do that every day you're eventually going to wear your back away an athlete that has strong glutes strong legs can actually propel out of a chair but I watch people getting out of chairs, and you can tell where they have the deficit. They need, they, they need stronger legs, stronger glutes. Like you said, the core ties not only to your abs. It ties where you weren't round and down into your hips and stuff.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's – well, and I talked to somebody else about this, the, um, what they call the uh, old man shuffle. You, know, you see old men who, who just they, – they're, they're all hunched. Their core sunken. Their abs are sunken in. Their hips are rotated, and they can barely pick up their feet. And it starts and kind of circle back around to you at the very beginning. I mean, it starts from the ground up, you know, you build those things from the ground up and I don't know, it's a, I mean, of course, like being conditioned is one thing, but when it affects your daily life like that, I mean, there's, um, you I don't really have a end point to that. It's just a fact of, of defining where you are, you know, in certain points in your life and working towards. You know, trying to meet yourself in the middle, really.
1: Well, that's a good point because one thing I I forgot to allude to what we also check, we have to check hip mobility because when the hips get tight, eventually you start getting back problems. So what you see is people get all, especially ex-athletes too, because of the, the, the wear and tear we put on our bodies from, say, football, wrestling. You start getting really tight hips. That's why hip replacements are through the roof now. I mean, you know, everybody's getting hip replacements. But your hips start to tighten up. Even at an earlier age, I always check hip mobility. That's why deep squatting, just to test it out, just to see if they could get to that level. And then you can lay them down. You can move the hips around and see how how tight they are. But then what happens is when they get older, they start getting balance issues. That's another big thing that's very overlooked, the balance problems when we get older. So you start getting a widened stance, kind of like you said, the shuffle stance. Then they got tight hips. You got a wide stance so you can balance yourself. And now your back's getting beat up, what do you do? You don't bend backwards, you bend forward. So I even see athletes, this is very important when athletes too, young athletes. If I start seeing them with bad posture, like up top their neck and their shoulders, I don't like that because what that does is that starts to work its way down to the lower back because if they start to lean forward when they're walking and when they're sitting too much, that eventually is going to go down to their back, it's going to go into their pelvis and hips, and then they're going to be less efficient.
0: That's interesting you bring that up. In the past, maybe like decade, have you seen more young athletes uh, come in with those kind of problems? With, it's being, with like, with like with like the you know technology being right in front of us. Is that has it been more fluid lately?
1: Yes, it's been more increased the past. I would say eight to ten years, and I yeah. think it's even going to get really bad the next ten to fifteen. And it, the funniest thing is they'll work on an athlete, and the first thing you do when they're done with their session, they're right on that text message, mm-hmm. and their heads their heads are right down, their shoulders are rolled forward. So I kind of teach people, I kind of yell at them a little bit, like just fun, fun, like, hey, this is how you got to do it, and... They'll humor me, and they'll go through the motion of how to keep their head up and all. And I'm sure when they go outside, they're back to where they were. But, yeah, that's going to be a big thing, and that's less efficient. Look, when you're working with elite athletes, I mean, look at elite athletes. Most of them have good posture. They're upright. They look like they're ready to perform. When you get to the lower levels, I mean, sometimes you see kids, they're, like, slugging around. They've got bad posture, and that's just unacceptable at that level. That's just going to lead to problems, and it's yeah. going to decrease their performance.
0: Yeah, they're – it's interesting because I've had a lot of conversations with people about how, you know, the benefits of technology, and I re- we really didn't get into the physical side of things and how it's affecting our physical well-being. I mean, I mean, in between appointments with me, I'm, you know, down, checking it, and I've got Apple Watch. I look at my Apple Watch all the time, and you know, checking messages on there and whatever else. So it's like, and I think that is important though to, if it's going to be in front of us, because it's only going to become more and more prevalent. And, you know, 20 years, who knows what, I mean, computers are probably going to go away. We're still going to have our phones. It's going to be something completely different. But there's got to, we have to, just like ergonomically, you know, setting up a desk in, in, a, in a fashion to, to, to stand and be able to reach things with, you know, full range of motion. There's got to be education on how to use this thing that we follow along,
1: you know, every single day. I tell, I tell people, I tell people, just about every inch your head goes, your ear goes past your shoulders forward, your head going forward, it's about another 10 to 12 pounds of pressure and, and, and pounds of force on your neck. Oh. So you're an athlete, and you're two inches off your shoulder, so your head's going forward. You know, if you're a runner, you know how much extra work you have to do just to keep that head up, oh. let alone to, to perform the sport? So it becomes an efficiency thing, and it, you become less efficient as an athlete. I mean, look at the Olympics they come up with all technology as far as the swimming with the swimsuits so they have less sheer in the water and uh, resistance in the water and, and track and field with the tighter outfits and all all to try to get that advantage of one or two, one or two you know seconds forget about it. if you have bad posture and you have your head going forward you're rounded you're rounded with your shoulders your body has to keep that your body's fighting to keep that upright i didn't
0: even think about that's like kind of terrifying i found myself like sitting up straighter and putting my head back <laughs> when you said that that's just uh yeah people don't think about those kind of things but sure. um even, even like when we're driving i mean it's that for me i try to focus on that you know i kind of want to lean back and relax and it's a I mean, it's a struggle when you're on your feet all day I mean, you know how it is you're on your feet all day and you're when you want to sit down and just like let it all go but uh, i find myself like right now trying to straighten up <laughs> as we talk
1: hey, i and feel you, bad you know what it is Realistically, I tell people, look, you're not going to do this all the time. You're not going to be walking around with yeah. great posture all the time. So try to reduce the stress to your body. Do it. Do it consciously because it's got to be neurological. Your body has to. Your brain has to start accepting it as a a kind of like the position it should be in. So if you had a computer, take some breaks, you know, we tell them, take some breaks, do some exercise, try to catch yourself in a better position for a while. And over the long term, that will help you out. It will kind of minimize. What we're doing now is really we're not going to win the battle because technology is going to win because there's computers, there's text messaging. We got to minimize the the effect of it the best we can.
0: Yeah, just cut, cut it off and try to maintain where we are most of the time. Well hey doctor, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I know we kinda we bounced around a little bit, but I think we got some good information out there. Anything else you want to leave the people with?
1: No, I appreciate having you on my on your show there. It was very informative. I just think people just have to understand the difference between crisis care, understand yeah. the difference between health care. They need to need to do working out and proper nutrition and just try to lead a health live a healthier lifestyle. And uh Take it nice and easy. Just don't take all the information and let it bog you down. Just take it piece by piece. Piece by piece. And they'll be better off. Thank you so much, Eric.